Hi, this is Fritz Abel. I'm here with Newell Nussbaumer and Paris Roselli for the Buffalo Who Knew podcast series, which highlights the often underappreciated, sometimes unearthed assets of Buffalo. And today we're here to discuss the Richardson Olmsted campus. Hello, Paris. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. You're our first visitor on Who Knew. Can't. We should probably get out the paddle. Let's do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is really interesting because uh, as far as the Richardson Olmsted, Olmsted Complex goes, which is a campus now, I mean, it's really been in the sight lines for every Buffalonian for just as long as I can remember. I mean, it's right up there with the Central Terminal mm -hmm. and so many of the other iconic buildings slash campuses in Buffalo. And we've seen so many success stories as of late. And this is another one. And what's what I like to lead off with here is now you don't come from a development background. We were just talking about this. Yeah. And that's what I'm fascinated with, because <laughs> there's a lot going on here that we're going to be talking about. But how do you find yourself in a role of this magnitude uh, coming from banking and tech, right? Yes. Well, sometimes the invisible hand of life uh, guides you. Uh, so what I would say is, you're right. The The campus has been in the spotlight probably since the 70s when the first patients or the first time that, that we we're going to wind down all the patients and people were in panic, like what's going to happen. So that's where the status, the uh, landmark status was sought. So you're right. It's it's pretty much over our lifetimes. And that amazed um, me. I, I saw that in the timeline. I didn't realize that that had happened in the 70s. So that's yeah, pretty incredible. People had some foresight. They, yeah. I think they kind of knew what happens to buildings when they're empty in this in this in this town. So that was great. Yeah, and basically what happened with me was I've spent the last, I'd say, 20, 30 years in digital business transformation and most recently in banking. And I was between between roles and a friend of mine had uh, contacted me and said they were looking for an interim uh, executive director because uh, Mark Mortensen, my predecessor, who's now at the um, Botanical Gardens, he, he was stepping away and he had gone through probably two terrible years of COVID and an empty hotel. And, mm. you know, it was it was tough. He was the only man standing basically on, on that campus. So I, I said, yeah, as a citizen, I'd be happy to chip in. Um, you know, what I, my shorthand is, is I've, most of my work has been deleted over the last 20 years because it's digital. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, you know, the platforms we were all on in the, uh, in the, in the late 90s are gone. Uh, so is my work. Um, but in the parallel, I've always had an interest in, in history and uh, buildings. I was part of the Queen City uh, Master Plan, the Planning Alliance for North Buffalo. So I was heavily involved hosting town halls and events like that, talking about housing stock, adaptive reuse, the uh, business districts and hurdle area. Um, so where, is that where you grew up? I grew up in Kenmore, but I lived, uh, my first house was on Norwalk in North Buffalo. So um, I, you know, right there down from the North Park Theater was great. But when I bought North Hurdle, we weren't sure where, which way it was going. And we fought hard on, you know, when the buildings burn down, don't put a parking lot and put a building up, you know, make oh, it pedestrian yeah. friendly. Actually put <laughs> the building to the sidewalk so people can enter from the sidewalk and it's not Frogger. So with that... So you inspired the green code. In other well, words. well I, I help participate. So mm. yeah, try to get the height correct, try to get the materiality of the buildings mm. correct, you know, just be sensitive to the context instead of building a, a strip mall. So um, with that in combination with... Uh, the digital stuff being deleted, I've always focused on house renovation and, you know, built my own storm windows, done my own renovations. So it's kind of trial by error. And with those things, um, I think in combination, plus my background in big business, if you will, because right now I'm dealing with a lot of uh, easements and covenants and leases. So it all actually is kind of an interesting mix that it seems, quite frankly, I'm the right guy at the right time for this role. 
you know, two years from now, who knows? Two years ago, probably not. But right now where we are, um, it's it's a good match. Mm-hmm. And when you say interim? Yeah, so, so I was interim just while they did a national search. And mm-hmm. so I picked up the pieces and tried to carry some things forward. And as they were searching, they asked me to throw my hat in the ring. And I said, okay, I guess. Wow. And so I applied. That's great. <laughs> and, and they they hired me. So that's uh, so I'm now an official. So I'm the president of the Richardson Center Corporation. And in parallel, I'm also the executive director of the Architecture Center, which is fallout from kind of the COVID, COVID times. And how long have you been in this role now? So uh, I started roughly March of last year. So it's a little bit over a year and a half. Something like that. And it March just like yesterday. March of 22. <laughs> yeah, it's been a whirlwind. Yeah. So, you know, when I started, there was really nobody on campus. I had the key to the whole building. You know, I could walk around and go anywhere. And today we have a hotel that's open. We have guests. We have events. We have weddings. Um, we have people employed. What a timeline. That's incredible. Yeah. So, Brent, why don't you bring us up to speed on where, where things stand? I mean, you know, we all watched uh, early, you know, with, with the Hotel Henry shutting down and... And then Hotel Richardson coming in. So where are things today? Yeah. Um, so I guess in relation to the master plan uh, yeah. versus just, okay. So from a master plan perspective, um, you know, the mandate that we've, we've received or created with the community back in what, 2006 or eight, when we, when we were doing all the, the community uh, focus groups, it was um, stabilize the buildings. It was restore the South Lawn and get that back to the community. It was redevelop that core for a hotel conference center. It was find a developer for the remaining buildings. And then it was open an architecture center to celebrate Western New York's you know, rich history. So those roughly four or five mandates. Um, 2013, the South Lawn was opened. It's a great fanfare. People use it. It's an urban park. It's great. Uh, and that was the firm out of Philadelphia that worked uh, on that. And Andropogon. Yeah, I've right. never heard it really pronounced, but that's how I read it. But yes, they, they're the ones who did it. Um, and that was great. Uh, we're, we are actually seeking grants and funding to restore the restoration because when you take a park and then you put a car park on top of it and then you remove that car park and you plant on it, you don't know what's going to take, right? Mm-hmm. And so 10 years on, we are recognizing what trees failed, what trees succeeded. And so we're now in earnest putting together a plan to continue to the, the Olmsteadian restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, we're holding it right, right now, which is good. And then for the... Um, Stabilization, that was roughly completed in 2012, and that was just freezing time and place. Those things are starting to wear out, which is why I've been soliciting uh, our elected officials and others to continue to chip in um, uh, on building envelope just to keep it keep it from getting worse. Now, when you talk about that stabiliz- stabilization, yeah. not to interrupt, but yeah. uh, what? How many buildings are we talking about? How many square feet are we talking yeah. about? Like, and just to give people an idea of uh, about what. Yeah, so so roughly we have about thirteen buildings left. Um, it's on about forty-four acres, and it's well over half a million square feet. So uh, I, you know, uh, I, I tease, tease my friend Jesse, who's now at the Darwin Martin House. I said, "You just have a house on the street corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty easy." Right? That and, is and, fighting yeah, words. Know, if she hears this, I'm doomed. But yeah. the point is, is you know, we're looking at you know, and in my case, we're looking at these massive structures that have laid fallow for forty years. And whether uh, winter, Mother Nature hasn't been kind to them. Vandals haven't been kind to them either. Um, unlike, you know, what we saw at Central Terminal, where Monica now is, 
um, where the owner actually stripped the building of yeah. important features and you know mechanicals and the rest. We didn't have that problem here, but nonetheless, you shut the water off, and or you, you know you don't drain the pipes, you don't heat it. There are problems. So the scale is massive. Um, I think it's about a half a mile just walk one length of the the building. So originally, so it's forty four acres. The south lawn's about nine or ten acres to manage. So you know even converting it and turning it into something useful. Uh, just the upkeep of that is is brutal. Um, you know, landscaping fees are over sixty thousand a year. Snow plowing is over fifty, sixty thousand a year. So what did you? I, I saw recently that you put out sort of a, a, a distressed call in in terms of the condition of of some of these buildings. Talk about the deterioration that's happened over the past. Sounds like it's y yeah. So and what it's really going to need to bring it around well that, that's, yeah. that's it so so to kind of tie your earlier question to this right we, we we did the stabilization we did the south lawn we built a hotel and conference center and that was going along until covid and then we struggled nationally to find developers to take on the rest of the buildings um and then when covid came it was just batten down the hatches and try to keep the vandals out try to keep the heat on and uh you know find a, a successor tenant um, so, you know, we found uh, Douglas Development to uh, come in and operate the hotel. So he's operating the hotel as a hotelier, um, which is great. And they're, they're, they're going. And then the Western building. So basically the buildings directly, you know, west of the administration building or the, the hotel out to the, the furthest reaches towards Reese Road. Those buildings are in various states of decay. Um, we, uh, my predecessor, Mark, had uh, won a couple of grants to get roof roofs uh, reinstalled or patches done, which is great to stop the water infiltration. But as you go further west, um, those buildings have the, like the polychromatic slate roofs, which oh, are yeah. beautiful, mm -hmm. and tin. And, you know, we've had some significant windstorms over the last few years. Mm -hmm. uh, so those have degraded. Um, and then there's, you know, a debate as well with uh, Shippo. It's not a debate. We just haven't settled. If we were to do any restoration because it's slate and polychromatic, do, do we have to redo do you have that? To, exactly. Do we have a precedent with asphalt shingles? Um, so that hasn't been sorted. So, so there's some of that. And what we're finding is, and it's, it's well documented, the, the furthest out buildings are brick. And brick didn't hold up as well to oh, the right. elements. Mm -hmm. uh, when water got in, it just kind of blows up the mortar and blows the bricks apart. The Medina sandstone in those buildings... You have Medina sandstone, you have a middle layer of limestone, and then you have an internal layer of brick. So it's it's about three feet of wall that you got to get through to, before you start having troubles. Uh, in those buildings, we see more of a problem with floor joists detaching from the masonry. So mm. the floors just collapse. Um, so ba basically, I think the Well, didn't the water spouts also run through the buildings? Was that, wasn't there some unusual thing about the water spouts and uh, they just... Uh, just some funky old worlds like building design stuff that just oh yeah yeah so so they did and and like a lot of old buildings so all of the uh, the gutters we on the on the rehab the gutters are interesting because you've got so much surface area to clear and they they are internal to the walls right. and uh, I think they were like lead and zinc or whatever anyway they didn't hold up yeah so what happens is yeah well you got the water the dry roof then your downspouts yeah. inside the building start exploding the walls right and, and that's we see that yes yeah. it's the same thing at central terminal the same thing they they got it exactly it, it, right um so when we've done the rehab on the core buildings we actually put external scuppers drilled through the uh, coping stones and ran the gutters and had on the outside of the building to avoid it 
So what what is preventing uh, interest in in developers or from developers? I mean, I remember pre COVID, if I if I remember correctly, you put out an RFP. Mm-hmm. Developers responded to it. There were ideas that ranged from ideas, yeah. senior living with continued learning at Buff mm-hmm. State, which I thought was about the most exciting yeah. thing I've heard. Yeah. Um, what happened to all those plans? Yeah, I think um, I I wasn't there, and and the anecdotal conversations and the narratives I read um, lead me to um, kind of come to the conclusion that when a developer came in or developers, because there were a number of discussions, a number of ideas, as you pointed to, the scale of the building, um, well, first of all, if you look at the building, and I, <laughs> there's a, a quotation on the bus terminal. It's a, a machine for loading buses, right? Which is, a, it's, it's, it's great. The, the psych center was a machine for mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. 1890s design, 1870s, I'm sorry. but Right, and just like a phonograph for your CD player, your 8-track, it doesn't quite work anymore. Um, so when the developers would come in, and if you wanted to have your tax credits, well, guess what's protected? The volume. So inside, the day rooms, these long corridors we have where the patients would rest or uh, socialize, get fresh air and sunlight, they're, they're 16 Which was tall. very pioneering at the time. Right. It was, and honestly, the whole, the root of this whole thing was very uh, uh, human, humane in yeah, its focus on what to do with people yeah. with mental illness. You're absolutely right. But that design with these corridors where the floor plate is two-thirds common area, one-third bedroom, and you can't change that lest you jeopardize your tax credits. You can't change the facade, the roof line. Um, the vents on the walls are protected. So the viewscape is protected, that whole shape. So when you want to subdivide or modernize it or put in heat pumps for apartments, like yeah. well, where do they go? Which is a catch-22. I mean, it's it like, you, you know, you don't want to see the building uh, uh, demolished right. uh, or or fall to the ground uh, at the same point. So, I mean, like, what's the answer? Right. Yeah, there's so, not a likelihood of it being demolished because it is now national it, landmark, if, but, right. it could, but if it could be demo- deteriorating. Exactly. Of, um, yeah. Well, yeah. well, and that's that's what we wanted to, to address with our, our recent queries. So the, the challenge, again, kind of, I think, answering your question was when you look at the scale, the inflexibility in order to get tax credits for an adaptive reuse, and then you combine it with the asbestos remediation or the lead remediation, having to put floors and having to remove machinery that was, you know, on this in the, in the ground level or the basement, um, lead paint, right, and even the trash that had been left behind. And I say trash, office furniture, just debris, detritus from the state hospital and from Buffalo State. Uh, it w- became kind of overwhelming for most, and it, it's not really shovel ready. Mm-hmm. So the developers would say this could be really interesting. Can you get me a building to work in? Yeah. So it's your job to create the envelope in which then they, right. which is what the model with Hotel Henry was. A- a- absolutely. And and so that's what we're doing now is, um, you know, continuing to push on building envelopes. So irrespective of developers or wherever we land, even if like every worker in Buffalo started working on these buildings tomorrow, it's going to take a few years and Mother Nature is getting ahead of it. That, that's the challenge we have. As, as far as developers that actually have a vested interest now, uh, I'm, you must be talking to Douglas Jamal about, uh, you know, I mean, th- he would be uh, just an, an obvious. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. And so that's what's happened. So Douglas came in and he leased the hotel and he said, gee, I think I can take on this challenge. Right. And he, he's the kind of guy who likes the challenge. Yeah. So he's leased the Western building from us. Um, and he has actually last year, or this year, um, last starting last fall, on the uh, most of the Western buildings, all of that trash that I was referencing has been removed. Asbestos has been removed. 
the loose lead paint has been removed. So that first critical phase is, is actually probably 85, 95% done. Mm. There's only uh, one building at the ground level that, as I understand it, has stuff left in it. So those crews were working I th in the cold uh, oh, yeah. for basically from, I think, November up until about uh, June this year on the Western buildings. And, is and so is it a, 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 is there a termination clause or what, how long does that extend that? Yeah. So, so, um, he's got a number of years to, uh, redevelop that and follow the processes. So he's actually, um, the organization has done the remediation. They have filed their NPS part one and two. Um, of course there was a reply back as you would expect, and he's filing it again. So those are all public record. I was seeking to put about 200 apartments in those Western buildings. Mm. And again, the challenge is um, mm -hmm. it's hard enough because he's going to have to put some floors in and some new roofs and, you know, a whole bunch of things, um, which is great. My estimate is he's probably got a quarter billion in invest investment to make when you figure the core hotel and conference center to outfit that whole thing. And it was really soup to nuts because it was an empty box, a broken empty box, all HVAC, all electrics, everything, elevate, cooking. Um, for him to do those Western buildings, I reckon it's going to be $100, $200 million. And if we can keep the building stable for him to build it out, it unlocks that, that value. Now, the challenge, of course, is we've kept the Southern exposure sacrosanct. So it's when you approach the building from Forest, it looks like it should have 150 years ago. On the Northern side, as you know, is the hotel entrance. We've got the parking lots back there. Um, and if you're at a ground level apartment, code requires life and safety code you have a fire escape well that means you got to punch through the walls potentially so if you punch through the walls you destroy the facade so now you've got this preservation debate versus a life safety debate and these are the types of things they're working through now is like how do you strike that balance of an adaptive reuse without kind of marring the character of, of the facility who is actually working on is is who is working on that right now is that something that jamal's yes. a part of that conversation yeah, yeah. no this and is this is jamal's work so as as he's leased these buildings from us his partners with his architecture firms and his historic preservation firms have done all that analysis and packaging and i ride shotgun um yeah. but this is his to follow kind of the process and does shippo come in and yeah shippo yeah. we, we meet with them every two weeks and yeah. uh we had a meeting this morning what is the over. status of the parking structure on oh, the, so on the for the hotel itself? Yeah, yeah, it's it's been interesting. Wait, parking structure, <laughs> park crochet, <laughs> yeah. party deck, park crochet, or whatever. There, there are a number of terms. <laughs> yes. So, um, what, what the status is? This current, as of today, um, the Common Council is going to meet on this. I think on December nineteenth, have a vote. So, if I play it backwards, um, that is because the preservation board denied it, uh, probably two three weeks ago, um, and. I think it's kind of, I'm going to turn this into Pulp Fiction. Like I'm going to start in the middle yeah. of the conversation. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I go back in time. When the carport was uh, was put up, um, basically they had not received preservation board approval for it. And um, there is a debate to be had, and this is probably more academic, but who has primacy? Is it National Park Service, SHPO, local preservation board? And it is interesting because preservation board provided some direction and insight that was different from where SHPO NPS was. And I can understand that, that, uh, that tension. Uh, but at the same time, you know, ideally, those would have been reviewed and approved before it got put up. So there was a cease and desist on that when, when, when basically the city said, no, you can't do this. Uh, it was reviewed by National Park Service. So they came on site, I think in April or May, we walked the campus with them and SHPO. 
And my understanding is, as of probably two months ago, NPS has approved it and has approved it from a tax credit perspective, which is really important. Uh, when you're doing a, a restoration project of this scale, those tax credits add up. As I was saying, it's probably 100, 200 million. So he doesn't want to jeopardize the tax credits, which makes sense. Uh, NPS and SHPO seem to be on side now. Uh, with the changes, I haven't seen the latest iteration of changes to the CARP, CARP Port Cashier. Um, Preservation Board said, well, nonetheless, we, we don't like it. And so now it's going before the Common Council, which is normal process to, um, to review it. Gotcha. Now let's talk about the other exciting development, which is Building 12, as Noel likes to call it, and, and the Architecture Center. So what's going on there? Yeah, so the, uh, Building 12 is uh, the former male kitchen, and uh, it's one of the smaller buildings on the north side of the campus. So the, 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 the structure was designed in such a way that the easternmost building were uh, the male wing and the westernmost were the female wing, and each had their own um, kitchen building. So there's a Green and Wicks design building on the eastern side of the campus. It's kind of a two and a half, one and a half story building with some dormers. <clears throat> and then there's this train depot looking place, which is the male kitchen designed by Richardson. And um, we had, uh, you know, part of the master plan was find an architecture center uh, or design and build an architecture center for Western New York. And we, we do actually have a gallery now open at the ground level of the Towers building for guests. It's open to the public, highlighting some of Western New York, highlighting the history of the Richardson campus. So we're, you know, we're doing that. We've, we've run uh, a couple of events this summer. We had a Thomas, uh, Dr. Robert Kirkbride, descendant of Thomas Story Kirkbride in town, talking about these things. We we had a, who was the physician and who was a yeah, partner yeah, sorry, of, he was, of yeah, Richardson. Kind of the and, first mover of yeah. mental health and well-being. Um, and then we had the Lesnar House folks in town for an event. Uh, the, Richardson designed that house. So, you know, we've been trying to do these cultural kind of interactive activities, even though we don't have a big proper home base. So as we're searching for that kind of final destination, we have um, uh, basically started stabilizing one of the buildings on campus, which is Building 12, this this male kitchen. What was the and condition of that building? Like, was it, had it really deteriorated? deteriorated? Yeah, it's, I mean, there are at least three big holes in the rooftop. Um, the connector, uh, part of the internal wall collapsed. So again, those walls mm. are Medina sandstone, limestone bricks. The bricks had fallen in, the window casings had fallen in. Um, it was on the short list. Uh, sorry, it was not on the short list. It was at the bottom of the list. The priorities were to spare, save the towers. The priorities were to save the big Medina sandstone buildings. And no one really liked this building. Um, but when we were in it, uh, it has a lowered tin ceiling or had a lowered tin ceiling. Most of the tin had rotted and was hanging like giant rusty razor blades over your head, mm -hmm. you know, 20 feet up. Um, when I finally went in there with a flashlight that was strong enough, because there's no power, no heat, no water in these places, and shine the light, you could see there's actually um, beadboard and chomford rafters and this beautiful structure up above the lowered ceiling that nobody had known about. Wow. It's been covered since basically the 1880s or 90s. So, oh. you know, no one's really around to talk about it. <laughs> and uh, as we started poking at it, I went to Trinity Church, which is Richardson's, one of his works in, in Boston, and the same structure shows up outside some of their porticos. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so we actually submit that to Shippo. And we said, we see a similarity. There's also a similarity to some of his train depots. So when you're in this building, it's kind of like, oh, I can see how this was a train depot repurposed as a kitchen. Um, it used to have tracks in it. So you could wheel the food carts out oh, wow. through all the connector buildings. You never had to go outside and they could wheel the food to the dumb waiters and, and up and down. But um, we were very lucky. We applied for a grant um, 
last year through the Environmental Protection Fund of, of the Park Service. We got a half a million dollar uh, matching grant. So what we've done is it's building stabilization. We replaced the entire connector roof, took it all the way down to the barrel vaulted bricks on the outside, all the gypsum, all that's removed, all rebuilt, brand new copper scupper. So that's done, tick. Um, we, we stripped all the shingles, the rotted shingles off of the main structure, all new decking, uh, ice and water shields up and the slates ready to go. But what we found when we went inside was those internal downspouts. Uh, they, had, uh, they had rotted out one of the ceiling trusses, uh, decorative ceiling trusses, and it's this massive beam and you can stick your finger through it. Oh, so mm. uh, I, I was in the scissor lift with the carpenter. He's like, this is probably not safe. <laughs> you know, when you're, when, you, the hard hats don't like attach to your head. They just sit on your head. So, so we, um, we basically, you know, descended and called uh, a company to come in and do an emergency shore. So we we're in the process of stabilizing. And as soon as that's done, slate's ready to go up. Uh, we've got uh, the mortar and masonry work ready to go as soon as it warms up. And then what we hope is to do an addition onto that building. That's and actually pretty exciting because that's pretty high profile, that, that building. It's a beautiful it, building yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, and I'm certainly curious. to have another cultural asset as mm -hmm. part of the corridor is a huge win for Buffalo. So it, the, the Lipsies uh, obviously established the fund for this center. Mm -hmm. Can a portion of those funds be used for this build out or this new design? Yeah, yeah. So, so the, we had a capital campaign that lasted about five years, and people earmarked where their where their dollars would go. And uh, we have a set aside. We have reserves uh, to work, start working on this. The challenge has been keeping the core mission up and running. Right, Keep, get the hotel open, get the building stabilized, get the park back. The hotel closes. You pivot. It's like all hands. Right, keep keep the facility still warm, heated, whatever. So the architecture center has always been backburnered, but. Now that things have started to stabilize, I'm, I'm spending the time on this architecture center work and trying to figure out how we're going to ultimately land it. So, yes, uh, it's, it is called the Lipsy Architecture Center Buffalo. Stan Lipsy, publisher of the Buffalo News, you know, he worked with, to help get us the funds for the Darwin Martin House. So he, he was kind of this one-man guy who started moving the ball on the Richardson campus and got it done. And uh, his family, yes, it's, they've, they've uh, set aside some dollars to help out. Can you share with us um, sort of your view on a, on on a timeline of when when can we see new designs for? Yeah, so we're we're working on designs. Um, the stabilization was the first piece, and then parallel we're, we're doing the designs. I'm hoping that by probably February March we can share something with the public. Um, we're really excited about the initial phases, but as as one can imagine, um, it's complex. We have to be very respectful of the context of the campus. So. We can't have a gigantic flamboyant design. Um, That's too bad. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, at the same time, you know, you, you have this super understated design and it looks like an Apple store and you're kind of like, all right, it's an architecture center. What are you doing? But contextually, we have to be, again, subservient to the Richardson buildings, to the Olmsted campus, to the context of the, there's just a lot of rules that make it harder to come up with something. So I think if we can come up with a an elegant kind of reserved uh, solution that would be great in parallel as well we are doing the programming as i referenced a moment ago and more broadly as i'm wearing both hats for the architecture center and the um richardson center we'll we'll split those off once they start to kind of get their own legs um but i am talking to my colleagues up and down the corridor buffalo state albright knox birchfield 
That's the museum. That's my corridor. next question. Oh, go, yeah. well, go, then, then yeah. go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> let, let Newell feel relevant <laughs> here. Go ahead, Newell. <laughs> well, with the advent and the reopening of the AKG Art Gallery, mm-hmm. um, Art, Art Museum, uh, do you, have you noticed that like there's a new kind of uh, energy, a new vibrancy, uh, new people coming to the table uh, that are willing to maybe field uh, some things that they might not have in the past? And or just to collaborate. I mean, it was yeah. part of our first segment. Yeah. Here you've got these disparate cultural institutions. Right. A long cultural row. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. Do we, how, do we, how do we see more cross-pollination, more joint wayfinding, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's exactly right. So um, a couple things have happened. I think with the AKG opening up, they're less inwardly focused now, right? They had a big nut to crack, and I think they've done a really wonderful job. Partnering with uh, Buffalo State and us about just basic parking, things like that, kind of a tactical, how do we get this sorted? Um, The region central work, which is interesting, as you guys would probably know, there was a study of studies. And I I keep pointing to my colleagues in the the neighborhood and to our elected officials, like the study of studies over the last 30 years has shown pretty much all of these independent strategic plans, all of these traffic studies, Skajakwita study, waterfront studies. Yep they all broadly overlap yeah. and you know no one's really at, at, at cross purposes and so the question i've been asking my colleagues in the corridor is i think now is the time Let, now let's is start, the time let's start yes, yes. Here, here. In with you know we and i've been talking to elmwood village and here, here's the nice part i'm not a developer i'm not a community organizer so i'm completely ignorant and how hard this will be so i'm mm-hmm. i figure out oh, what the hell i'll just start that's what we need though right you know yeah. yeah you sound like you're a glutton for punishment so this sounds right perfect yeah. so and, and i can tell you you know i, I just had a, a, a discussion i've talked to sean ryan's office and jonathan rivera's office about how can we work collaboratively again elected officials uh, the executive directors in the corridor, VBN pulled together a good meeting with all of us, Shakespeare in the Park, about how we can make it so you can park somewhere, you can walk somewhere, you have waterfront access, you know, you're not playing Frogger trying to cross Elmwood, you start your day off at, let's say, the Albright Knox or Birchfield, have a coffee, and you end it with a picnic at Shakespeare in the Park. Right now, our calendars are somewhat overlapping or conflicting, and it just doesn't make sense. And we think, again, back to unlocking value we can take the half a billion or so that's been invested in that corridor and really make it a destination. There's a marketing level. Again, there's a transport level, a pedestrian. There's a whole bunch of levels to it, but I think now's the time. So you guys are exactly right. Yeah, and beyond the, you know, the Richardson Olmstead campus, uh, you're talking about a huge Delaware Park uh, yes. <laughs> right there. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about water features uh, like Gala Waters. You're talking about uh, the the Skajakwita Creek. And I've seen, you know, some renderings that would be amaz- amazing uh, where you actually connect Amherst Street and mm-hmm. you connect uh, Grant Street and you have a, a, like a larger focus um, for really what this campus looks like. I mean, because if you go to other cities, you see these university campuses that it's hard to know when you're in the city and when you're on the campus. And Buffalo really doesn't have anything like that. And I don't and I think that could be uh, a a mission for this uh, this collaborative between all of these culturals. I would agree. And one thing that's making me feel more optimistic is, you know, working with our neighbor, Buffalo State, they've been much more amenable to having this conversation as well. So. You know, we've got the water keepers and, and Blackrock and, and, and the harbor. So, so again, I'm, I'm, I'm casting the net wide to see who wants to participate. But it feels like 
we now's the opportunity to do it. So tactically, what are you doing to sort of start to take steps in that direction? So it's 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 very organic. We 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 uh, one of my colleagues hosts a monthly executive director meeting in the area, so we chat about you know how how fun are galas and you know what's it like dealing with tickets. You know, so we have the kind of operational sharing best practices, but we've also talked about this. I've been meeting with them individually. I'll, I'll, again, my colleagues in the neighborhood, because it's really easy to say, hey, I'm over at the Richardson. You want to take a look? <laughs> so mm. yes is usually the answer. And then and then we talk about what we could do for the community. Um, and then again, working with the elected officials. So we have applied for a couple of grants to fund the study that ties together the studies. What I don't want to do is start from scratch. There's been so much good mm. work and yeah. thinking already. It's just, and again, that, that region central study was really nice, the study of studies. Um, can we pull that together and then just take the elements and really it's someone editing, right? Editing mm. it into a narrative that makes sense for that corridor and putting together the plan uh, to unlock the value. And, and I'm also concurrent to that. I'm also a big fan of just doing little things. Yeah. So, you know, I think Buffalo does that really well. And this, this was sort of codified with the waterfront of lighter, quicker, cheaper. Mm -hmm. Like, is there, is there an art, campus day or something that we can start to promote where there's one day a year where everyone can go from the history museum all the way down to the architecture mm -hmm. center with one pass right you right. know just start with that and yep. that would that would help people start to envision what this could really look like yeah, you're exactly right so we don't want to wait for the one big silver bullet um so we're starting off as you said very small um there are, you know, we're, we're doing discounts. I know the hotel's doing discounts with Albright Knox. We've talked about parking and sharing. Most people don't see that, but what they do see is they're not getting ticketed when they're, you know, parking in areas mm. um, because we've built a really poor infrastructure. Um, we've talked about calendaring. So we're starting to share our calendars with each of the, of the, um, the not-for-profits or the culturals in that area so that at least we can say, oh, here's our gala, here's our concert, here's our whatever, try not to step on it. And then we have had very... Um, early discussions about exactly as you're saying, could you come for a day and traverse the area and, you know, one pass gets you everywhere. So you, that's really where we want to go. There's no reason to wait for it. Um, so if we can do, again, these kind of two things concurrently, uh, have the bigger picture outlined. Because the other is we, we have a big plot of land on the north side of our campus. You know, we've got the barn and the fields and, if, and there's Dart Street. Those are two areas that have to fit into it. And what I'm worried about quite frankly, is that, and even the Skijakwita, uh, if there is no plan, well, what's going to fill that vacuum? And I don't want it to be the cheapest idea. Or the, it's got to be something that's a longer term uh, that ties all of these really neat things together. Yeah, and in the meantime, focusing on community engagement yep. and activating the campus, uh, exactly. which I think has been just so fascinating uh, to see. Uh, it's not just the interior of the buildings, it's the what's going on in the grounds. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, I love seeing the... Uh, uh, all the different events uh, that have happened there. You yeah. know, people walking their dogs, yeah. you know, throwing th throwing sticks and balls for their dogs. It's just amazing to see people interacting with that campus the way they have been. Yeah. And to take public art, I think this, Noel and I talked about this uh, last time as well. Like, is there a way to incorporate public art to create more of a right. continuity mm -hmm. among all the campus? Yeah. I mean, obviously this is the AKGs, but that, that piece of Jim Hodges out mm -hmm. on, the, on the South Lawn is breathtaking. Yeah. It yeah, is. it is really is great to see that uh, that synergy there.
we've we've actually talked to uh, I, I had a conversation with Sipa Gallery about an exhibit. Uh, Futura two thousand was here for his show at Anderson oh, yeah. Gallery, and they're like, "Do you have any buildings?" And I said, "Well, we do have a lot of buildings, but I'm not so sure we can spray paint." <laughs> so if you're okay with a wall that we can you know manufacture, but so I'm actually in touch with those folks about something as well but we have talked to Albright Knox because I think they have some excess inventory AKG, as well yeah. sorry AKG, yeah. AKG. Yeah. I'm, I'm old it's hard to do it's hard habit to break so, so you're again you're spot on with what, what we can do and it's just a matter of even organizing that so you know there's the day to day running a not profit trying to keep the lights on dealing with you know normal business things and then there's this bigger picture so it's just trying to find the cycles so one question backing up a little bit on the richardson um buildings itself um so firstly i know that at, at some point in the future we're going to have Catherine schweitzer as a, a, on yeah. to find out about this exciting development around um richardson's office which many people don't know about right. so we'll, we'll keep that under wraps okay. for now but um, the, I know a lot of people comment online that they're not going to step foot in the buildings. It's too controversial. Mm -hmm. You know, they remember when their family members right. were there and whatnot. Right. Is there anything, um, that you uh, on a board level are talking about to create an authentic space that emulates what used to or replicates what used to be there? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, um, like anything that's lasted 150 years, there've been many iterations. So, if you look again at the first movers of Kirkbride and Olmsted, I mean, Olmsted built these parks, right, to kind of be egalitarian. Everybody can have green space. It was healthy. Olmsted, Vox, their work was medicinal at this campus. Mm -hmm. It was actually a medicinal thing because Kirkbride felt sunshine, fresh air, occupational therapy, socialization. These were all important. And again, at that point in the 1850s, 60s, that was very progressive to treat people humanely instead of sending them off to the almshouse or locking them in a back room somewhere. So I think that initial push was great. And the city fathers at that point felt a, a duty to take care of those with mental illness. So all really good things. And oftentimes really good things end up in poor places. So by the time the, the buildings were built, it took over 25 years, there were, um, it was overcrowded right? Because sunshine and fresh air doesn't cure everybody. Oops. So, so what do you do with them? And, and so it got overcrowded to the point where they probably had 3000 people in a facility designed for about 360, mm. right? So people were in wow. the halls and, and, and then by the time, you know, the twenties to fifties came around medicine and Thorazine, and you could start to medicate people and take care of some of the problems you could release them. And, and a redefinition of what mentally ill it, it, meant as, also. As well. I mean, there were a lot, there was a pretty wide hoop from what I understand at the yeah. end of, you know, the 19th century of who was included. Yes. I mean, I, I probably would have been in there myself. I, I, <laughs> most of us would have probably had, had a round in yeah, there. Yeah, should if, have been. If, if you look at the records, indeed. Um, and, and I guess where I'm going is um, COVID, I think, really shine a light on, on people's uh, loneliness and mental health and socialization and, and the challenges that we all struggled. So I think it's become much more um, uh, common to have conversations about these things. So I respect families whose family, you know, maybe had family members there and had a bad time. I get it. That, that was a, a point in time. Um, what we're doing is we do have two rooms carved out in the building, a, a nurse's station and a patient room. Uh, we've been working with the Office of Mental Health to try to get some antiquities in there to restore it. So we have a bed, we have a armoire, we have tables, we've got, and, and we're working, we've actually applied for a couple grants to the um, Patrick Lee Foundation and uh, another one, uh, a couple others saying, 
help us put together this, this mental health exhibit that not only talks about what the intentions were, uh, but also provide some insight and feel yeah, problems today. Yeah. You know, call, don't, don't be hesitant. We're on an active mental health campus. Yeah, but it is it is such a great piece of, of the story because it was so pioneering and yes. progressive, and 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 so I think that 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 is you know really something to celebrate. So I I think it sounds great. I think it sounds like you're you're firing on a lot of cylinders, and you're you're the absolute you know perfect person. I'm glad you aren't a politician. I'm glad you aren't a seasoned <laughs> developer. Uh, you know, Newell and I are, neither of us really likes to color in the line. So you sound like our type of person. So right. that's perfect. So Paris, you know, given the theme of this podcast, which is Buffalo, who knew, which builds off the theme that so few people outside of Buffalo and also inside of Buffalo know the depth of, of what we have in this city, would love to ask a question of you. What, what's something that few people know about uh, in regards to the Richards and Olmstead complex, which you think would be an interesting addition? Uh, well, I, one thing I'd propose is the iconic green towers. There are probably two things on those towers. One, they're empty. <laughs> Nothing was ever in them, so they're strictly decorative. They're ornamental. Mm -hmm. Ornamental, which is amazing to think how much those cost because they're 185 feet in the air. But yeah. <laughs> on, on top of that, they weren't always green. So for the first 40 to 60 years, they were covered in diamond-shaped clay tiles. Wow. Mm -hmm. So imagine going down... Uh, Richmond and seeing the towers and this, you know, Medina sandstone building with a slightly uh, clay orangish colored diamond shaped tile green a roof. So no green. Uh, and what they realized was the tiles leaked so much that they ultimately wrapped it in copper, probably somewhere between the thirties and forties. But um, yeah, so I didn't know so that. So they're wrapped in copper, so they're still under there? No, no, they're removed. They're actually, <laughs> they're they, they up there. You still can go up and get some because I think they were too hard to take down. But oh, they're, they're in storage in okay. the towers. Really? Yeah, probably for frequent repairs. Um, I would imagine that, that some of that will be going into the new architectural. We actually have it hanging in our museum. So if you come visit at the ground level of the towers building in the museum, we have a grouping of those tiles of what they would look like. They're beautiful. Super cool. Breathtaking. Thanks. That's a great factoid. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming today, Paris. Thanks for having me on your inaugural show. Yeah, that's great. it. We'll have you back. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Paris.